This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Anyone been to the eye doctor lately? All right, okay, so a couple... <laughs> A couple of you are like humorously pointing around as if you haven't or you're looking the whole like maybe I need to go. So if, if you are lost or need someone else's assistance, then certainly you can uh, step in and see it. Well, one of the unique things when you go to the eye doctor, and it's always changing. They have new techniques and new patterns of, of what's taking place and how things are unfolding. But I remember as a child that plastic spoon. You guys remember that, that wonderful, magical black plastic spoon? You'd set over an eye uh, and then you would try to look out at that chart uh, and you had tried to memorize it when you walked out the hallway because it was only two feet from you when you turned the corner. Because I remember the pediatric doctor that I had growing up, like you could be close and you're like, JWXY5. And then like they point to the line you didn't memorize and you started with the line you'd memorized and they're like, yeah, just try the actual line I'm pointing to. Uh, but it would just kind of get you into this focus of what's going on. Now, remember, what they're doing is trying to find out, do you have 20-20 vision? Can you see at 20 feet what a person should see at 20 feet without corrective lenses. This is, this is the whole goal. And then there's always the like, no, I have 2015. I have more than perfect vision. Uh, one of those little like myths that would like pop out that you'd kind of brag at that someone would come to elementary school and say that they had, they had better than perfect vision. I realize it's possible just sharing with you some people had something a little more, but we set in with this idea of vision. Now, just at the close of the year, my two oldest, Helen and Nathan, went, and they had that other telltale sign you went to the doctor when they got back home. You guys know what that is? Those really cool sunglasses, right? Those really awesome, like, I've just had my eyes dilated shades that are really trendy, and I think in 2020, they're going to take off. They'll, just, they'll be all the rage. Uh, but until that time, we just know it meant someone went to the eye doctor. Now, saying kids need glasses is one thing. What about that other awkward moment in life? It's the moment where the doctor looks at you and says, I don't want to give you glasses. I'm going to need to take your keys. See, that, that's the weird doctor's visit no one wants to make. I mean, get, you know, yes, hey, your child gets glasses, but what happens on the other side when you can't see and the world and the way you've perceived it for decades has changed so much that it's no longer safe for you to drive? Well, this is all about perception of the world and seeing what you're supposed to see. The doctor's whole goal is just they want to help you see what you should be seeing so that you can interpret the world in the right way. Now, we're not here to see the world so you can drive a car. We're here to understand what is it that helps you understand the world? How is it you understand all the different things that either come in your ears, your eyes, through your fingers, just to understand this perception of what's going on? And it's in the scriptures that what we hear is it's the word of God that gives that perception to us. So how we actually use that word of God. Now, the word of God becomes like this new fancy thing. Now, they used to do the plastic spoon. The plastic spoon for your eye test is not the only way they do it now. Now they have really fancy words that my pediatrician didn't have, like auto-refractors. Uh, an auto-refractor actually just pulls up to your eye and it bounces images off your eye and you don't have to do anything and then it moves in and out and focuses the light and will tell you what your eye is actually doing 
So whether you can identify it or say what you're seeing or not, it will tell you if your eye's doing it because it knows what should bounce off the back of your eye and come back out and do all these different things. Well, this is actually God's word in your life. It is the auto-refractor that tells you what's really going on, even if you're not willing to say it. It still tells God exactly what you're doing. So as we look to what's happening in James, we have to understand that James is trying to let the Word of God be that auto-refractor, but the Word of God's got to come first. Meaning, if you want to understand the world, don't put the world out in front and then let the Word of God be what happens to you. Second, the Word of God's got to go in front so that everything about the world actually goes through this Word of God to correct you, just like the glasses or the contacts you have on your head to remind you, you only see the world because you have something that corrects your vision before you see other things. This is God's Word. Some people, though, use God's Word not as what's out in front. They use God's Word as a a pick-me-up, a self-help text, a I'll use it when I need it. God's Word was never intended to be use it when you need it. God's Word is supposed to be always out in front, helping you to understand what is happening around you and to discern what is true and what is false and to know where things are going. So in a world much maligned by sin, which Paul tells us in Romans 8, uh, he talks to us about creation is all groaning since the appearance of sin. We know the world's grinding under this weight. It's not quite right. The world is not seeing 2020. It just isn't. And it certainly isn't seeing 2015. Uh, it's probably seeing something, well, you name the most crazy number you've ever heard uh, at your vision test, and it's probably getting somewhere close. But in this world that's maligned by sin, we only catch little glimpses. Uh, It's like that moment when you sit down and you're going to hear a symphony, and they go from tuning to that first beautiful chord. Like It's a glimpse of what the perfection of God's world is. Or that sunset that you remember seeing where everything was just majestic and maybe you're watching over a lake or a pond and you get to see not just the sun but you get to see the sun's reflection so whether you're a sunrise or a sunset we get glimpses of it now as we discuss getting a proper view i want you to consider our first reading now before we go into james i just want to say here this is first kings you can if you're in james stay there i'm just going here for a moment to set this tone for us it's solomon who's been offered by god that he can receive any Now imagine this, a ruler who the first thing he asks for is give me wisdom to actually wisely rule your people. 1 Kings 3.12, behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. God actually answers Solomon's request and says, not only will I give you that wisdom though, he then says, I'll give you even more because you asked to rule my people. But what's interesting is no one before him and no one after would ever have what Solomon did. He has wisdom beyond anyone else. So if you thought you were real wise, guess what? Solomon still got you beat, which is kind of a bummer for those of you who've read the Bible, right? (laughs) Those of you laughing, you're going, well, I learned a thing or two either this year or in previous years about Solomon. And if that's the best that human can do, even when given all the wisdom of the world, then you and I are going to need some help. We're not going to pull this off on our own. Solomon knew that wisdom was not just something he could pull from a hat. Solomon even knew later in his life he had all this. Now, he allows his life to become ensnared with false gods, but he knew better. 
So if you sit there going, oh, he didn't know. No one before or after him had that amount of wisdom. He knew what he was getting in. He just thought he could what? He thought he could control it. He thought he could do it. Why? Because he was the wisest man to ever live. Reminder, are any of you the wisest man or woman to ever live? Now, a few ladies are sitting there saying this. We don't know. We just know Solomon was the wisest man. So maybe I am the wisest woman. We, so we're just going to check that argument at the gate and just, and just kind of, I'm not going into that corner with you. Which leaves like 10 women who are like, we will fight it out in the lobby after the service. <laughs> Ladies, that is, that is on you. Uh, maybe do it some, somewhere else. But as we step into the text, we're going to go into James chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, I want to take us into our second reading and talk about this question that James is then addressing to the church. So he knew about Solomon, uh, and he even talks about what this is. He goes, who is wise and understanding among you? He's writing the church and just asks, you know, who is it that has it all figured out? James continues, by his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, when's the last time you used the word meek? Likely one of the places you'll jump is you'll go to the Beatitudes, uh, and, and you'll go there, which is interesting, right? Because we just don't use meek all that often. Uh, now, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So it turns out meekness would be a pretty neat characteristic and trait to have. We just don't try it all that often. Uh, we, we do the whole Solomon, we're the wisest person in the world thing a whole lot more. Now, we hear the phrase in the Bible, and then we realize that it doesn't look that way in our lives. Meekness is not something most of us chase. Man, I'm going to be meek today. No one, wait, you ever have someone come into work on Monday? 2020, it's the year of the meek people. That is probably not how your year started off. It started off probably more like this. All right, we got more work to do. I'm glad you had a day off. Get back to work. There's more stuff to do. We got to change the world, and our company will change it. You're just the vehicle we're going to change it through until you don't work for us. Then we'll move on to someone else. That's not meek, in case you didn't know how meek works because you don't use it a lot. That is like the complete opposite uh, of being meek. Now, if glasses can restore the splendor of the world to you, think about what God's Word does when it restores the splendor of God's intention for you. So when I was uh, helping the church in Panama years ago, and if you've ever either been to a vision clinic or been somewhere else, the joy of watching someone receive sight they've not had for years is astounding. I mean, it makes me almost want to be like, you know, optometrist. I mean, I, I know every profession, profession's got, you know, excitement and joy to it, but like someone who actually can help someone see the world again. I remember one lady, she, I mean, she literally jumped out of her seat because she could see what she had not in several decades. Now, if you know a lot about glasses, somewhere like past plus five, things get weird. It was like plus 11. It was like the thickest bottle clap glass that that the Lions Club had donated to allow this woman to have. She didn't care. She was wearing like 20 pounds on her nose. She was just as happy as could be that she could actually see again. Now, James continues and takes us to verse 14 and 15. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
Now, we talked about Solomon having all this wisdom, and now we've got James talking about a world that's trying to see things properly. But if you've got anything else in your heart that's going to put the world in front of the corrective lens that is God's Word, then it uses these terms that, well, they're not, well, some of them seem nice, earthly. You're like, okay, I'm okay with earthly. Then it gets more awkward, doesn't it? Unspiritual. Some of you are like, you know what, I could maybe live with that. I have moments where I feel earthy, but then it actually calls these ambitions inside of us demonic. That Satan actually is working through you and me. Now that's kind of sobering. You're going, this isn't really a happy Sunday pick-me-up. Well, James isn't actually just trying to pick you up. He's trying to wake you up. Sometimes the best things require you to be awake, to experience them. James wants to make sure that you know something's grabbing at you and pulling you away. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition can lead us to do odd things that we believe are right. When we speak of Christ being your lens through which you see the world, it's the entire biblical narrative. See, Jesus isn't just the baby on Christmas morning. You've got to take Jesus as the entire child who becomes a man. Now, the text started in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, uh, and it, it kind of, it's one of those neat things where the text took us up to verse 40 before, where last week we were going away, and it ends with, and then he, he grew in wisdom and stature of both God and, and his fellow man. That growing in wisdom isn't something that just pleases God. That you, It's actually impressive to watch someone who's pleasing God. The world takes note. And the world's taking note of who Jesus is. God the Father creates the heaven and the earth, and God the Son is sent to help you get this auto-refractor of God's Word in front so you understand what's happening around you. For some of you, you do not understand 2020. You were troubled by the last decade. And you're just a few days into this one, and you're going, I don't get it. I would encourage you to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. More so than you even did last year, you would be amazed how much more you will be at peace when you let God's Word settle in first. But if you put the world in first, and then you bring in God's Word second, many times it has a tendency of taking second fiddle because you've already filled up with all the other stuff. God says, put me in first, and then see what the world has to fill in. It's a great and beautiful world. God made it. But don't let the world get to fill you first. The gospel reading this morning tells us just that, this child who's in the temple doing what? Speaking God's word. Now, it's worth reminding, some of you have probably heard this before, but if you're kind of freaked out as a parent going, how is it that his parents don't know where he is? Because remember, the entire family comes. So when they figure he's in the caravan, he's with a brother, a cousin, an uncle, someone else. They truly believe he's just with someone else in the family. They did not have minivans. They did not look in the rearview mirror of the minivan and somehow like miss out on a child. Okay, this isn't like you left your child at McDonald's. Don't tell me if you did. It happens to some people. Uh, so they would have thought that it's there. And then as they're checking with family later that night when they've stopped, someone goes, oh, I haven't seen Jesus. He's not with me. Hey, check with the other. Because this was common because families actually did what? They all moved together. 
So lest you're judging Mary and Joseph going, they're doing something wrong. They're not. It's very common in that day to have done exactly what they did. What they're shocked about is Jesus is back in the temple. Now, how much would it shock you if your kid one day goes, Mom, Dad, I stuck around at church. I just wanted to keep reading the Bible. It would probably do the same thing that it did to Mary and Joseph. Oh, man. Guy, Jesus really likes the Word of God, and it's central to who He is. Why is it that we were rushing to get out so quickly from the very place that God promises to be? Yes, you can read God's Word anywhere, but in the temple God had promised to be, and it was the Father's house. It was Jesus' house. He wanted to be there. Now, go back to Solomon, and remember that the wisdom that Solomon had gets tainted. Think of the pleasure that Satan had the moment that Solomon fell. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But Solomon actually falls, the wisest man that was ever there. Think about the little victory Satan had that day, probably dancing up and down. If I can take down Solomon, I can take down you. Now I have some of you going, well, that's not really a so, I don't really like that. Yeah, but Solomon allowed himself to do the one thing you and I must not in 2020. Solomon stepped back from the word of God and put something else in front. You see, his vision became blurred by other things and God wasn't at the forefront anymore. He let other gods step out in front. James says this in verse 16, James 3, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be discord, disorder, and every vile practice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition, that's what Solomon did later in his life. He wanted other things. His own ambition started to rise. He knew better, but it's so tempting. That's why we call it temptation. Uh, it tempts us and draws us in. We set aside our priorities and make honoring and God our first. We need to get a reset to look at how this is. Now, our own congregation is walking through this neat journey that we're desiring to see in 2020. Guess what? You may not like the chairs we get. You may not like the color of the wall. You may not like the flowers that are planted. None of those things are primary to what we are actually doing. None of them. Can we as a congregation be as excited today on January 5th as we may be two years from now when you look back at all the decisions that were made and say, you know what, we did this so that we could teach and preach Christ. Can we check our selfish ambition at the door and say, how do we make sure that we have a space that lets us do more than we can do today to honor God? And we find ourselves kind of at a point of departure saying, can we do that? God's going to find out, <laughs> and we're going to be on that journey. But remember, this is what James is asking the church to do. Check your stuff at the door so that you can make sure that Christ is the one that resonates and resounds. We have to decrease so that Christ would increase. Verse 17 and 18, move forward and do this further. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's a whole different way of viewing things. And God's inviting to say, let me be at the forefront of what you see first. Understand that God's got the first thing to say. Now, in God's infinite wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, he has ransomed 
you and I. He's redeemed us, paid the entire price of our sin, our rebellion, our selfish ambition, all these things that snuck into our lives. None of you wake up and say, boy, it's going to be a good sinning day. No one does that. But boy, after a little bit of time, when one little thing gets in, then you just start calling that little thing normal and you add another thing to it. And the next thing you know, then someone may look at your life and say, boy, do they not realize how far off they are? It always starts out small. We've only got five days into this year. The invitation God's giving to you and I is put God's word out in the front of this year. Make this the year where you actually look first and the word of God gets first priority. The world can take a back seat. <laughs> Your life will be just fine with the world in the back seat and God in the front. Because when we do so, when we allow that to happen, listen to how James goes in chapter 4. He talks about this change. He said, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Satan doesn't want to work hard. <laughs> Think about that. He wants an easy target. He wants the one that can succumb to him. If you are resisting, he'll go, man, I, I, got, I got cheaper fruit that I can pull off somewhere else. And he'll go there. Resist the devil, he will flee you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Isn't that an interesting little close to that verse? James doesn't sugarcoat the picture of the church he's writing to. He's writing to Christians and says, you double-minded. He knows his church well. He knows his audience, that we live in two worlds. We live in Sunday morning world, and we live in not Sunday morning world. And James is writing to those churches and saying, I know you're double-minded. Let's not hide that. But might we allow God's word to be the auto-refractor, the person that gives us the right setting to know that this isn't the world as God intended it. But in Christ, that world is being restored and renewed. And that as we come to his table, as he feeds us with his body and his blood, we are renewed to move forward. As we gather as a body of believers, we are changed. James was written to a church who knew Christ. And so we are as well. And James invites us today just as he invited that church. Stand firm in the word of Christ just as surely as Christ stood firm in a world for you and for me so that we would have eternal life. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.